Oof. What was the best and most memorable meal you've ever had? If you think of the best meal, the best fellowship you've ever had at a meal, when was it? One of my most memorable meals was my senior prom. I had a beautiful date. And we went with a group of friends to to a restaurant called Brioso Brazil. It was one of those Brazilian steakhouses where they brought out these huge portions of meat on these long skewers, and they just cut it right onto your plate. It was all you could eat. They brought out fillets. They brought out beef ribs. They brought racks of lamb, Brazilian sausage, pork wrapped in bacon, and they just kept coming more and more and more as much as you wanted. They even offered a salad bar, an all-you-can-eat salad bar. And my question to my friends was, why would you waste your time with a salad when you have all this meat? I specifically remember a time after the meal that I leaned over to one of my friends and said, if we ate like this every meal, we would be eating like the kings eat. I have a lot of really good meals before. And although it's almost always included really, really good food, most of my favorite meals are meals that I share with loved ones. Yes, the food is at the center, but it's also the people that we're fellowship with that makes it the best. Whether it's at a wedding celebration, whether it's at a Friendsgiving, or whether it's at a birthday party. When we have people who we love, we invite them to come over, and it's not just our culture, it's not just our society, but as humans, we feast together. We celebrate together. We party together because we love each other. That senior prom, Jessica and I had a very good group of friends, and we enjoyed the best of foods, and we feasted. We found abundance. And this is a biblical theme. Images of abundance and of plenty and having more than you could ever need. And I wonder if we think of this when we think of the garden. For God provided Adam and Eve with abundance, abundance of food. This is what he said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And then he ends the sixth day with saying, Every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the ground, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. God sets before them this feast, this abundance of food. It's as though at the garden we are invited into a banquet table where we're dining with the Lord. This is the picture we get in Leviticus 3. 
what I want us to see this morning is that very much like what we've seen the past three weeks, we have these different offerings. And in Leviticus 3, we get a different vision of a fellowship feast with the Lord. And I want us to see three things that form this fellowship feast. There's a procedure, the prohibition, and the purpose. So the procedure is very much like we've seen in other chapters, especially in chapter 1 and chapter 3 as we've been in the past two weeks. But the Lord sets before them instructions, a procedure of what must be done. And I'm going to use an illustration that I've used before, and I'm going to use it again, and I'm shamelessly so. We just sent our children to teach me to worship. You know what they do in Teach Me to Worship? Maybe, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe, maybe you don't know. But at Teach Me to Worship, we teach them to worship. That might seem silly, but that's actually what we are doing. We are teaching them what we do as God's people in our worship. We are training them to be worshipers. Right now, Amanda Cox and Amanda Moore are teaching them why we confess our faith together. We walk through piece by piece of our liturgy so that they can be taught why we pray together, why we hear the word together, why we observe the sacraments together. Much like our liturgy, these offerings for Israel were pretty repetitive, right? We, we do the same thing Every single Lord's Day. They had to follow this very specific procedure to come before the Lord. This is what their procedure consisted of. It consisted of two laws. If you, for the first law is if you brought a, an offering from the herd in verses 1 through 5. If you brought a bull or a cow. The second law was if you brought an offering from the herd, whether you brought a sheep or a goat. But notice the difference that we haven't seen in the other chapters. The worshiper can bring either a male or a female. There's not a restriction on what it might look of, what its gender might be. But there is something that it must do or it must be. It must be without defect. To come before the Lord with an offering, you must bring an offering without defect defect. This word can be translated, it is translated when in speaking to people, it's without blemish. And this is what we do, isn't it? When we come to people's homes, when we come to someone's home, we always bring a token of thankfulness that we are invited into their homes. Maybe we bring a bouquet of flowers. Typically, if you're in our congregation, you bring a bottle of wine. But these offers, these worshipers were to come into the presence of the Lord with an offering. And yet it had to be without blemish. And then we see, as we saw in the other chapters, the offerer must perform this hand-leaning rite. They had to put their hand on the head of the animal and lean on them, making a connection with them. making a relationship with that animal because that animal was about to be slaughtered on their behalf. And that's what happened next. The priest slaughtered this animal at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
And although it doesn't tell us here, because this law isn't exhaustive, but, it, but we find out in chapter 1 that the priest was to drain its blood. And then the priest takes it and throws it on the altar. And then we get a set of instructions that we haven't seen anywhere else. Unlike the burnt offering where everything of the animal was consumed on the altar, we have that only some parts of this animal sacrifice is to be offered. The kidneys, the, lo- the fat around this loin, the long lobe of the liver shall be removed. Remember, the fat is the best part. The fat is the delicacy. The fat is the filet mignon. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, I'm happy to give up the fat. But the fat was the best portion that belonged to the king. This is what God required. This is the procedure that they had to go through. They had to go it step by step, and they had to provide the fat to the Lord, as we see in verse 16. All the fat is the Lord's. This is what Israel must do to offer a peace offering with the Lord. And this peace offering became a pleasing aroma to their God and to their king. As though offering this offering, the father now looks upon their child favorably when they offered it with heartfelt worship. It was a food offering. Not that Israel was actually feeding the Lord, as was actually really common in the ancient Near East. They weren't trying to feed the Lord, but it was as if the Lord was hungry to meet with his people. Faithful Israelites did this procedure to show the Lord that they desired to be in fellowship with him. That they desired peace with their king. God set it out in this law what he required of them to enter into his presence. What we find here, again, is that God has made a way. God has made a way for his faithless people to come into his presence and to receive his Goodness. And, you, and you might be saying, Tyler, you've said that the past three weeks. You're darn right I have. That's my point. That's the resounding truth of the book of Leviticus. God has made a way for his sinful people to come unto him. God has made a way to provide peace that his people might enjoy his fellowship, his love. The gospel is repetitive. That's the point. The message is the same every single Lord's Day. Come to God through Christ. God has made a way for you. As we teach the children our liturgy, our procedure for coming into the presence of the Lord, we are teaching them this because it is a repetition, and we are reenacting the gospel every single week. That's that's what we're doing. When we walk through our liturgy, we are 
reenacting the truthfulness of the gospel. He calls us. We respond in worship. He speaks to us. We respond by confessing our faith. He forgives us. We respond in worship. He proclaims the gospel to us and all that he has given us in Christ, and we respond in worship. And then he sends us into the world with his blessing, and we respond with faithfulness. Every Lord's Day, we are reenacting what we believe about the gospel. We are sinners saved by grace, and God has made a way in Christ. We are reenacting the gospel in our liturgy to repeat the sounding joy of our hearts that he has been faithful to us in Christ. If this reenactment of the gospel has become boring for you, if it, it seems repetitive, if you find yourself just going through the motions, I ask, take a step back and refocus your eyes upon Christ. Refocus your eyes on how God has made a way for you in Christ. This can happen so easily and without us even knowing. We say the Lord's Prayer. We sing the doxology. We pray together without even thinking about the words that we pray. We sing out of the Trinity hymnal without even thinking about the words that we are actually saying. Step back and look unto Christ. God has made a way. We see this happen throughout the life of Israel. And God sent them prophets calling them to repentance Because it wasn't the gospel's fault. It's not the procedure's fault. It's not the liturgy's fault. It's our heart's fault. For looking so much at ourselves rather than looking to our Savior. I'm not saying that every single Sunday you have to have this illicit emotional response. But what I am saying is we are called to taste and see that the Lord is good. This procedure, this liturgy, it's leading us to Christ, to his goodness, to remind us of his faithfulness, to shape us that we might be his people, following the king of the world. This procedure was the same for Israel, and it is the same for us. We look in faith on what God has provided for us. We looked to Christ to come unto him. This is the procedure. And then we, we are given a prohibition in verse 17. Verse 16 says, The fat belongs to the Lord. In verse 17, it says, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. The fat being the delicacy, the most 
important part. That goes to the Lord because He is the covenant King. He is the one deserving the best and the finest of foods. We're not told here why the blood goes only to the Lord, why they, there is a prohib, um, prohibition from eating or drinking the blood, but we are actually told in Leviticus 17, 14. There's a prohibition because the lifeblood of the animal, the life itself is found in the blood. And all life belongs to God. This is why he gave this prohibition. You may not come to the Lord in any way that you want. You must give me the best part. You must give me the life of the sacrifice. You must come to me in the way that I prescribe to you. And we get a prohibition like this in the New Testament too. There is no other way to the Father except through Christ. He prohibits all other ways of coming to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But here's the promise that we get. Even in this prohibition, here's the promise that we get. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near through his blood. He himself is our peace. We may not come into the presence of God in any way that we want. We can't just waltz into his life, waltz into his throne room. Our only way into the entrance and the presence of God is through Christ, and he himself is our peace. This is what he says to his disciples. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Brothers and sisters, whatever you've done, whatever hardship you're facing, whatever seems insurmountable in your life, whatever it feels like to be keep getting kicked off the road just to have to climb back on, the Lord provides you the only way to the Father, and it's through Christ. He is your peace. There's no other way. God is restoring his people, bringing them back unto himself. Brothers and sisters, God offers you his peace in the person and work of Christ. Come to him by faith. Come to your Father who loves you. He has given everything for you through Christ. This is the procedure, this is the prohibition, and now we get to the purpose. What is the purpose of this offering? Well, although this offering is rightly called peace offering because the, the root of the peace offering is the same root that we get for the word shalom, which we all should know, one of the best Hebrew words is peace. But the NIV actually translates this as the fellowship offering. 
because they are focusing not on the word or the root itself, but they're focusing on the purpose of it, the meal. This offering was different in a few ways than all the other offerings. Unlike the burnt offering, not everything was burned up, but there were certain pieces that belonged to the Lord. The fat and the bl blood belonged to the Lord. And although it's not explicitly stated here in Leviticus 3, it is in Leviticus 7 that the fat goes to the Lord, but some of the meat actually went to the priest. And then the rest of the animal, the offerer received and was to take back home. But not only was the offer to receive it and take it back home, the offer was to take all the rest of the meat and eat it that day. That's what we, we find in Leviticus 7.36. It states, it must be eaten on the day that he anointed it. That's a large piece of meat. I don't know if you've thought about that. That's a whole cow that he has to take home and eat it that same day. So what we see implicitly in this text is that when the offerer went home, he had a feast before him. That he would gather all the people of his family, even his extended family, maybe even an entire village would come because that offering had to be eaten that day. It was to be enjoyed. It was to be enjoyed as an extension of the meal that the Lord had just consumed. It was a way for God's people to dine in the presence of their king. When they gather together in this peace offering, in this fellowship offering, the Lord was blessing them, blessing the entire home with his presence. As the worshiper brought this offering to the Lord, he was meeting with them, enabling them to have a fellowship meal with their covenant king. This is the context of the covenant. This covenant meal, they were celebrating their king's faithfulness to them. Because in the covenant, the king promised to protect and to care for them. He promised to supply their every need. And in this offering, he enabled Israel to receive that blessing in a physical form, and they ate in abundance. The abundance that he had provided for them, as he had provided in his grace and his mercy. And in this fellowship offering, we find our Lord Jesus Christ. For through him we are invited into fellowship. As we come to this communion table, we are invited to dine with our covenant king. But here's the difference. In Leviticus 3, the best parts went to the king. In the Lord's Supper, we receive the best parts because we receive the king himself. He gives us the best portion. He gives us his body and his blood. This is why Jesus says in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
The blood prohibition has ended because the old covenant has ended. Jesus has established this new covenant meal based on his body and his blood. Everything you need for eternal life, everything you need for abundance is given to you in Christ. This is why Christ came to give you abundant life. He has provided this meal so that we can have fellowship with him. He has provided a better lamb. Blood of the eternal covenant. He set before us Christ so that we might taste and see that our Lord is good to us, that we might remember together his faithfulness and his goodness to us when we don't deserve it. But it's a reflection of our king and his love for his people. He is faithful. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has not left you in your sins, what your sins deserve. He has provided a way. He has provided a way into the presence of the holy God of Israel. And we are to do this in remembrance of him. Because he is the Lord that always provides abundantly for his people. This is what Paul tells us in multiple letters. We have received all things in Christ. Talk about abundance. Talk about plenty. Talk about sufficiency. And this meal doesn't only just have vertical implication, it also has horizontal implications. As we reenact this gospel, we find at this table that we are actually reenacting the two great commandments of Scripture. That we are loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are also called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because we all come to the same table. We all worship the same king. We all deserve the same thing, and yet we all receive grace upon grace. At this meal, we are rededicating our lives every single week to our King. At this meal, God is undoing what we did at Genesis 3. Our God is extending to this, to us, this table. And he's inviting all to come. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a king. He invites all to come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden, he asks to come to him and to feast and have abundance of all things. This is how good our God is. He has given us a physical token of his love to nourish us, to sustain us.
at the end of the scriptures, we have a very similar picture. In Revelation 19, we hear, as was our call to worship, we hear of the great wedding feast that we as God's people long and hope for. In the beginning of the world, God gave his people in abundance, and at the end of the world, he will give us even more because he has given us all things in Christ. Christ Presbyterian Church, remember that. Remember that when you're tempted to sin. Remember that when you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Remember that when you feel like you can't overcome life's problems. Our God has given you all things because he's given you the king. We have received all things in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together.